Well, hello, church. How are we doing? We are so glad that you're here. A special welcome to everybody watching online. Uh, hello to everybody in Palm Bay and DeLand. We're so happy that you're there. It's made new weekend. In Palm Bay and DeLand, that means uh, 10.30 uh, on their campuses, there'll be uh, baptisms going on. And for the Ormond campus, that means 6 o'clock at Andy Romano Park. This afternoon, we'll be having beach baptisms. So, made new weekend. You're sitting in the middle of it. We'll talk a little more about that. All right, before we go further, I forgot this last night, and I'm so upset at myself. Um, Seventy-five years ago, America was celebrating mightily this weekend. It started on Friday, and the party was still going today. Seventy-five years ago today. Anybody? What was going on? Wow. It was the end of World War II. VJ Day. Right. This was the, the, the weekend that it all ended. And I know that there are some World War II veterans watching online. Are there any World War II vets here in the service? I know that's a tough group to get to anymore. But I do know some are watching online. And I just didn't want this day to slip by without us saying thank you. So. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the men and women in an absolutely impossible situation, boys, girls, sacrificed everything physically, emotionally, and many times their own lives for our freedom, for our prosperity that would come after that, that would put me into a world in which I live now where we have these freedoms freedom to worship, uh, freedom uh, to have food on our table, and so many blessings that came because those men and women served so faithfully. So we want to honor them. And then, Lord, we come against evil. And I, I keep seeing the numbers, so I know there are people here in the room. I know there are people watching online. And I know that anxiety is at an all-time high, depression is at an all-time high, suicidal thoughts at an all-time high. We just want you to know how much we love you. There are people here that will take your phone calls. And God, I pray that you would just encourage these people not to give up, not to quit. Reach out that there are people that care, uh, whether it's a phone call or to meet for a cup of coffee. Uh, Lord, that you would, you would step in and that you would speak and uh, encourage us today. And uh, I pray that regardless of the, the depth of the pain or the isolation that when we finish today, people would be in a very different place. So, Lord, hear our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, a couple more things. Um, I've got uh, prayer cards in the back. Some of you got have picked them up. Some of you have not. There are, as you exit where the offering buckets are, there are prayer cards for our missionaries. Uh, we're doing five a month, so you can collect all five, or you can take one, doesn't matter. Uh, but on there is a mission. There's a tells, description on the back of what that ministry is. There's a verse at the bottom for your devotion time or for you to memorize. I picked this one. This, uh, this one is Samaritan's Purse, 
Operation Heal Our Patriots. Now, this is a mission that we support, and Franklin Graham started this mission in Alaska. And every year, they take wounded war veterans and their families, bring them free of charge for this retreat in Alaska, minister to them physically, psychologically. they got all kinds of professionals there. And many of these young men and women end up accepting Jesus Christ there in Alaska. So we're honored to partner uh, with this mission. And uh, those are in the back. Also back there, if you weren't here last week, we also have one for the schools. We know we missed a few schools, so there's room to write in the schools we missed. And it's to pray for the schools, the teachers on the back. There's specific things to pray for, um, you know, failing students, violence, uh, uh, Christian students in the schools, faculty, staff. There's just lots of things that are all there. Pick those up and uh, just take some time this week uh, to pray. All right? Now, I've been telling you for the last couple of weeks about what's going on in California and uh, with specifically with John MacArthur and Grace Community Church. And uh, they, they threatened, uh, well, they threatened to put uh, John MacArthur in prison, 81-year-old uh, pastor. Um, they uh, threatened to cut off their electricity and their water and all kinds of other stuff. Well, MacArthur hired a big-time big lawyer, and uh, this week they filed a lawsuit for $11 million against Los Angeles County uh, for how they've been treated. And the Ninth Circuit stepped in. Now, if you know anything about the Ninth Circuit, they're not really known to be friendly toward Christianity. The Ninth Circuit Court stepped in and said to the governor of California, you have no authority, you have zero authority to shut down the church. So, uh, if, if you watch, MacArthur was on CNN, he was on Fox. Um, Anyway, there'll be 7,000 people worshiping at that church this weekend. So that we praise God for that. Now, I do know he got into some trouble, though, all right? I don't know if you heard this. The lawyer that filed the brief, um, apparently brilliant lawyer, but struggled with um, some grammar stuff and, and didn't put in any commas when they were writing the brief to sue L.A. County, and um, so there's this whole long thing with no commas, and the uh, judge said, we're going to let the church meet, but told the lawyer, you can expect a very long sentence. <laughs> My self-esteem is very strong. <clears throat> All right, Hebrews chapter 9. I know I skipped 7 and 8. I ask you to read that on your own. Uh, there's so much. I mean, there are verses in here that we could spend weeks on. Uh, just 7 and 8 talk about the great grace of Jesus Christ and how he is superior to all of the Jewish laws and rituals and all the fake gods and all of this. We'll, we'll cover some of that. But in chapter 9, we get to the meat of the gospel. And from 9.15 to 9.28, if that's all you had, be enough. If you had those verses, you would know how to live, you would understand the full message of the gospel, and you, you, would, be, you would be able to live the Christian life completely. Now, I entitled the message, Superman, because everybody's always looking for Superman. 
who is the real Superman? Well, when I look back in my life, I like the original one. I like the TV show. Now, I know if you're young, you don't even know what I'm talking about. Uh, we, we've got, there he is. All right, now there, that was, that was uh, Superman to me. Uh, leap tall buildings, stand in front of trains, you know, that was a good deal. But the story that I want to tell you about Superman comes from one of the, the first movies uh, where Superman has a situation where Lois dies. You remember that story? And it, what a tragedy, and it, people are crying in the audience, and this is back maybe 1980. And Superman gets so mad, he destroys all the evil... And then he flies up into the atmosphere and he flies reverse around the earth faster and faster and faster, so fast that he turns earth, it spins it backwards so that time goes backwards and brings Lois back from the dead. Do you realize that's the story of Jesus? Is that not what Jesus does? He steps in, he knocks out evil, he brings forgiveness and he turns back time so that we can all find forgiveness and that we can all be raised to life in the second kingdom. It's, that, it's the Christian story that they ripped off for a Superman movie. But that's really who Superman is. But listen to me, there was only one Superman. And Joseph Smith did not rise from the dead. He's still dead. Muhammad, dead. Buddha, dead. Gandhi, dead. Wherever else you want to go, dead, dead, dead. Only one, only one person who ever stepped into time rose from the dead. If you talk to the, if you read the histories of the other religions, they'll all tell you. We don't know how to get to heaven. We don't understand forgiveness. Oh, they've got platitudes about peace or how to treat people, sometimes how to kill people. But only Jesus offers forgiveness. Only Jesus proves that he's God by raising from the dead. There are not multiple supermen. And yet in our culture, and I dare say in a lot of churches, religions are all blended together. And it doesn't matter what you believe. It, it, it's just all religion. No, there's a big difference when you've got a guy that comes back from the dead. And that's the Superman story. And the Hebrew writer makes it very clear in chapter 9 that Jesus, who was a sinless sacrifice, he was God and he was man, fully God, fully man. And Jesus did not come into the world to make bad people good. He came into the world to bring dead people back to life. All right? That's, that's what Jesus came to do. He came to turn back time. Because I can't go back. I can't go back and fix what I broke when I was 16. But Jesus can forgive that. And Jesus will clean the slate. He did it for me and he'll do it for you. That's the God that we serve and we worship. But in our society, we've been so... The, the brainwashing from universities and even a lot of churches, we're all the same. Not remotely true. Not remotely true. Listen, you can, if you believe all other gods are true, you cannot believe in Jesus. And if you believe in Jesus, you cannot believe that all other religions are true. 
It's pretty simple. Jesus said, I am the way. Not a way, not one way. Listen, well, well, that's so exclusionary. That's so, no, it's not exclusionary at all. You want to go to heaven? The bus is leaving. Bus 5, get on it. I don't want to get on bus 5. Well, that's no longer Jesus' fault. Would you agree with that? Yeah. See, it is not exclusionary. Heaven is open for everyone who will accept Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you. You can't accept a God that is false and expect to get the same results as worshiping a living God. So stand with me out of respect. We'll dig into this passage a little long, but I want to get all this in here. So for this reason, you go back to 7, 8 and the beginning of 9, and it talks all about how great Jesus is, how, how incredible he is, how he is the only one. He is the spotless Lamb of God. And because of that, for this reason, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant, a new law agreement, a new testament. That those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. whether you know, He's writing to Jewish people. So for them, it's under the, the Mosaic covenant, the Ten Commandments. But for us, it's whatever covenant you might have had. He said, Jesus came to put an end to your old idea of religion and to finish it for all of us. In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it. Because a will is in force only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood, sacrifice of bulls and goats. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll, the word of God, and all the people. This is the blood of the covenant. Blood is being shaken, which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle, the tent of God, and everything used in the ceremony. So everything is covered in blood. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Jesus did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. So Jesus is with God working on our behalf. We'll get there. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that's not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once. Once for all, the culmination of the ages to do away with all sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face the judgment. Now look at this. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. 
and he will appear a second time for who? Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. There we go. You can be seated. What an incredible word. But he starts off right off the gate. He says, for this reason, because of who Jesus is, that he was the one sacrifice for all mankind. He was the one. He became our mediator. Now, the word mediator is very simple. It means one who goes on someone else's behalf. You've got a mediator, maybe between a sports league and the players union. You've got a mediator, sadly, sometimes between husbands and wives. It's a go-between. The goal of the mediator is to make peace. Jesus being our mediator, his purpose, his sole purpose was to bring us into a peaceful relationship with God the Father. Now, Jesus did the work. He's the mediator. The blood that was shed on the cross once for all. And just to prove what I was talking about earlier, 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there was one God, one God, say it, one God, one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Now look, either you believe the Bible or you don't. There's one mediator. Nobody else can do that for you. That's why it is imperative that you and I accept Jesus, but it's also imperative that we share the message. See, this I, I have a two a two prong problem. It's one thing that people won't accept it. Okay, that's that's one that's one thing we're trying to get people to believe. Accept this. The other is that churches who know this, Christians who know this, and won't share the story, won't speak up when people are talking, oh, it doesn't matter, man, you know, me and Buddha are tight, or I worship a, a fig tree, I'm good. Uh, I mean, you hear everything. I'm a good person. Okay, all right. And who's your mediator? Who's standing between you and God? Who's going to make peace when you stand at the judgment? And it says here in Hebrews 9 that it is appointed for every man, every man and woman, to stand before the judgment seat of God. Be nowhere to hide. You won't stand there as a family. You won't stand there as the church. You won't stand there as an American. You will stand individually. Now let me show you where you're going to stand. The word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians, <clears throat> he talks about the judgment, and he uses the word bema, B-E-M-A. He says, we will all stand before the bema, the judgment seat of God. Now, archaeology has been very kind to us in the, in the uh, city of Corinth. Uh, pretty much everything that, we've, that you read about, uh, we've been able to uncover it in Corinth. Here is the bema. Judge sits up here. You're down here. And you're down here looking up, giving an account of everything you've ever said and you've ever done. It is appointed for every man to stand at the bema. And you won't be equal with God. You won't be saying anything. You will be held accountable. What we need in this moment is down here, guess who else stands at the bema? Anybody? That's where your representative stands. So either you will stand and represent yourself and have to give an answer for everything you've done, 
or Jesus will be standing there as your mediator and he will make peace with the Father on your behalf. There's so much cool stuff. I just This has nothing to do with it, but I just want to, again, to show you the, the incredibleness of God. Uh, at the end of 1 Corinthians, there's a guy, I think his name is Erastus, if I'm not mistaken. You can look it up, 1 Corinthians 16. And he, this was, he was a Christian there in Corinth, but if I remember right, he was like in charge of public works or something. So his job was to keep the streets clean and keep the walls painted. He became a Christian. We literally uncovered a stone in Corinth that has his name chiseled in it, Erastus, public works. Again, proving once again God's word to be true. Ah, they're just writing this stuff. They're making it up. No, history, archaeology will back up everything that we're talking about. All right? That's what's, that's what's fun of this. But we will all stand at the Bema, and who's going to represent you? What position will you have? One God and one mediator. If there's only one God, then you've got to have his mediator to get you in. And that's the position that Jesus has. Now, what's Jesus doing now? Romans chapter 8. It says that Jesus is interceding to the Father for us. That's what he's doing 24 hours a day, every day. He is interceding for us. Well, we look at that and you immediately think, oh, he's praying for us. He is. But the word intercession also means he's lobbying for us. He is fighting for us. He's reminding God the Father, hey, they are, they are with us. I'm standing here as a mediator. Joe's really messed this up, Dad, but I am the mediator for Joe right now, and I'm here to tell you that he's been forgiven. He is constantly fighting for us. So whatever you might think that's going on in heaven, that's one of the pictures that Jesus is constantly mediating on your behalf. If you have accepted Jesus, if you haven't, you need to. As I mentioned, made new weekend. Palm Bay and Deland, right there on campus. Ormond, 6 o'clock tonight at Andy Romano. When we get finished, the sign says decisions. Decision counselors will be over here. If you need to accept Jesus, come over here. They'll talk to you. Uh, they'll pray with you. Over here is just prayer. This is uh, anybody that just needs somebody to talk to, pray with. Um, last night we had lots of people on, on both sides. So he is qualified because who he is to be our mediator. However, he also wrote us a will. See that second part? And he said, he said, there's a will that's been written and that will, like all wills, has, has a deal. The will is only in effect when what? The writer of the will dies. Right? So my kids cannot come take my $5 today. They will have to wait until I die. You don't get it early. It doesn't work that way. When you write a will, that all gets handled after the death of the one who wrote the will. Jesus wrote the will. So what do we have to have happen? What's the whole point of this passage? You have to have a death. But do you know the new covenant did not start until Jesus dies and is resurrected? You're still under the old covenant. When the thief on the cross accepts Jesus, think about that. Still under the old covenant. 
He couldn't imagine that Jesus could just say, today you'll be with me in paradise. Because no religious ruler could have said that. You've got to have a new covenant guy working this deal for you. He's mediating for the guy on the cross. But when he raises from the dead, now the will is in effect. Why is this important? Now I don't have to offer goats. I don't have to sacrifice sheep. I don't have to to earn points. I don't have to do any of that because Jesus died once and for all. He finished it. Now what's in the will? I'm glad you asked. Because if you get in my will, you're getting my family's will. I'm looking for money anywhere in my family, but I don't find it unless there's a uncle out there somewhere I don't know anything about. I don't get too excited about that because it's not like the day is going to come when it's all going to come pouring out. But what if I told you that Scripture is very clear about Jesus' will? God the Father said this. He said, with this new covenant, everything that I have given to Jesus, I am going to give to all of you who are believers. So I don't get a share. You don't get a share. We're not going to split up God's love and God's grace. We're not going to split up heaven. He said... Everything that I have for Jesus, all the love and all the beauty that I had projected for Jesus, I'm going to give it to all of you. That's what God has planned. That's what's on the back side of this will. Galatians 3.15. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human contract that has been duly established, so it is in the case of Christ. You've got a contract, you sign a contract, and you don't add to it, you don't take away. What he's saying is when Jesus made that contract with humanity, it's there for all of us. It's a permanent contract. It's only a matter of you and me signing our name to the deal. Do you want to go to heaven? Sign right here. That's how this contract works. Now, I want to tell you a story. You're not going to care for this guy, but I'm going to tell you the story. Uh, this guy's name is, is Tim Snedeker. I want to get his name right. He is a religious professor at the University of California, Santa Barbara. And he's finishing up his doctorate in religious studies. Okay, there's your background. He was asked, if you had a time machine... What would you go back and change? Now, I think without much thinking, I could probably come up with millions of things that would be, wow, I wouldn't let this happen. I would prevent that. If I could spend time backwards. You know what he said? He said, I would have assassinated Jesus very early in his life. And he said, specifically, I would have assassinated him before his baptism so that none of this stuff that's going on now, the church would be believing. Ph.D. candidate student teaching religion, University of California, Santa Barbara. Now, here's, what, here's the problem. Number one, uh, he has this globalist idea. Uh, again, all religions are good. And Christians mess that up. There's the globalist picture. However, what really messes this story up is the fact that he knows the truth. 
He knows that Jesus' baptism sets the commission, sets him moving forward, and he knows once Jesus gets to the cross and is raised from the dead, it's all, all bets off now. Because Jesus just trumped everyone. He just became superior over all gods because he is Superman. He is the only man who was also God. Can you imagine, of all the things one might do in history, I want to go back and kill Jesus. Well, that's sort of the world we live in. Because, man, does Jesus scare people. See, they don't protest mosques. They don't protest Hindu temples. But people are always angry at Christians. Now, let me give you some perspective. Guess who's always been the ones building hospitals? Say Christians. You're right. You're right. Guess who runs all the orphanages all over the world? Christians. You won't find, you will not find a Hindu orphanage. You will not find a Muslim orphanage. Do you have any Muslim hospitals? No. No. Who's always there to rescue people when there's an earthquake? It's Christians. Because we have been taught this is what a Christian does. We care for people, we help people, we feed people, we step in. You will not see that, okay? Let's just talk about a current situation. How about, how about the mess in Beirut? Uh, the bombing of Beirut. Beirut is 95% Islamic. Guess where all the food and medical help is coming from? Jerusalem, Australia, and the United States. The Christian, the Christians. What? Why aren't the Muslims helping their own? It's not important. That's not, that's not the priority. But you and I, as Christians, have been taught that when you love people the right way, they learn about the God that we serve. And yet it's interesting that we're always the target of persecution because Satan cannot handle the fact that this Superman stepped in the world because Jesus stole all of Satan's thunder when he rose from the dead. All right. Well, we could spend a lot of time there, but... Okay, let's go on to verse 28. We're skipping right to the end of it where he talks about Jesus being a sacrifice. There's a word there that bothers me, and I had to go check it out. He says he is a sacrifice for many. And I'm like, many? Why not all? For God so loved the world. But if you look at it in context, Jesus' blood is big enough for everyone, but it only covers those who accept him. That's, that's why there's a clause there that says he died for the many instead of the all because everyone won't choose to accept him. But the many is everyone who will. But you know, again, why aren't we offering sacrifices? Do you know the rest of the world still does? You pick the country. It doesn't matter. Uh, a friend of mine in Niger, uh, this last week, was Muslim uh, something or another, high holy something. And everybody had to go get a sheep and they had to sacrifice. Because this idea of a blood sacrifice has been passed down through history. And if you go, you go to countries anywhere, what do you think was going on with the Aztec Empire? In Mexico, what do you think was going on with the Incas in Peru? Blood sacrifices, a lot of time, people sacrifices. Mighty close to the story of Jesus. 
They just didn't quite get it. Well, we don't have to do that. We don't have to offer those sacrifices because Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. Let me just take you back in history to, to get there. In Genesis chapter 22, there's a story of Abraham taking his son Isaac up the side of a mountain with a load of wood on his back. You might know that story. And God told Abraham to sacrifice his one and only son. And then he's ready to kill him. And he's like, I, I don't know how God's going to do it. Maybe God's going to bring my son back from the dead. And as he's about to bring the knife down, God says, don't do it. Don't do it. I will provide a lamb. Then the next verse says, there was a ram stuck in the bush. Had his horn stuck in a bush. He goes and gets the ram, sacrificed the ram. All right, I'm not real good with animals, okay? But a ram is not a lamb. There's a difference. Am I right? It would not be for 2,000 years. But 2,000 years later, Jesus walks up that same mountain. And what's he got on his back? Say wood. Same thing Isaac had on his back. He's got wood. He goes up to the exact spot on the exact mountain where Abraham laid out Isaac and Jesus is sacrificed. When Jesus was coming to be baptized, John 1.29, John the Baptist looks at Jesus coming, coming across the Jordan River and he says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John told us who he was. The Lamb of God. And then when he walks up that mountain, he becomes the lamb that God spoke to Abraham about 2,000 years earlier. Now we're 2,000 years on the other side of that, looking back. Now I'm going to tell you a story about a bird. If you look at the screen, all right, this is a little about God and a little bit about us. Uh, this is bird number AX6587. Some of you might have thought 8-6, but no, this is 8-7. This is an interesting story. It's 100 years old, but there were some guys in Wales that were studying birds and how they always were pulled home, no matter where they put them. So they took this bird to, to Venice, Italy, turned him loose, and about six hours later, he was back in Wales bird doesn't know where Venice is. So they thought, well, let's try something else. So they put the bird on a boat and sent him to Boston. And they turned this bird loose. And 12 days and 12 hours later, the bird landed back in his nest. No clue how the bird got across the Atlantic Ocean. But the bird made it. Now here's where I want to go with this. Inside all of us, there is a homing device that is calling us to God. You might have turned that off. You might be trying to ignore it. But there's a homing device. Even watching interviews, I've noticed that some of the Christian guys that are debating, they've started to ask this question. And they'll say, hey, you're an atheist, you're an agnostic, but do you hope there's a heaven? Do you hope there's something after this? And every one of them says, yeah, I hope there's a place where good people are rewarded and bad people are judged. I just can't believe it. So even atheists want that. There's that homing. And some of you have been pulled by God for so long. 
And yet you still haven't made that decision to accept him. So let me tell you what happens. This is a tragic story, but it fits the model here. Um, there was a guy on Lake of the Ozarks. It's, if you've never been there, it's a beautiful place to vacation. But it's, it's in Missouri. And there was a man out on the lake last week in his powerboat, and he was killed. Um, it's a tragic story, uh, but it speaks well to what I want to talk about. Right? He was from Illinois. That could have been part of, of the problem. But um, usually, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not accusing, I'm not accusing anyone, but usually in stories like this, if you get to the fine print, they usually say the same thing. Alcohol may have been involved. All right. The guy is anchored out on the lake. He decides not to pull. Well, he doesn't realize he's anchored, which makes me wonder what he's doing. Um, so anyway, he starts the boat up. He starts roaring across the lake as fast as the boat will pull the anchor until he turns. And when he turns, the anchor flies out of the water and kills him. And I thought, my goodness, how many people do I know that have got their anchor set so deep that even when they get the story about Jesus, they're not going to pull the anchor up. They just keep dragging it around. And eventually that anchor will kill you. And I also know a lot of Christians that need to be doing things for God, need to be serving, need to be involved in children's ministry, need to be giving, need to be doing something, and the anchor stays down. Eventually the anchor will kill you. Because nobody buys a boat to be anchored. The purpose of a boat is to sail, cruise, go. So when you've got the anchor down, you're never going to be able to do what God has called you to do. So look, I don't know where you're at. Palm Bay, the land, Michael and David are there to minister to you. Uh, here, uh, we've got our folks up front. Um, I don't know what God's saying to you today, but I know this. Jesus said, one God, and I'm the mediator. I can make peace. The will is written for you, and the inheritance is available for all of us. And the reason my hands aren't bloody is because Jesus, his were, and he paid the price. So, Father, I pray as we finish today that you would hear our prayers, that you would speak clearly. I cannot convince anybody of anything. Only your spirit can convince people. So I pray whether people are watching online now, they're going to be watching later, whenever, that your word will speak clearly about a God who loves us and about the only God who has stepped into time to rescue us. Thank you, Jesus, for being our Superman. 